Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Our guest today is Tyson Cross. Tyson is a tax attorney who specializes in cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking to Tyson today about the new IRS guidelines that were released last week. Tyson, thank you, as usual, for being here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And can you give us a little bit of background about yourself, Tyson? Uh, sure. So like you said, I'm a tax attorney. Um, I practice out in Nevada and California. And one of my primary practice areas is cryptocurrency taxation. Um, I first got into the space back around 2013. And, you know, in general, at that point, there was a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about the tax treatment of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Since then, we've, you know, received some guidance from the IRS. And obviously, we're here to talk about that today. But Still, there are many unanswered questions. So uh, I do enjoy helping clients uh, navigate those unanswered questions and, and try and make sure that they're able to comply with the tax law and, and reporting their cryptocurrency income. Right. So the last guidance that we got from the IRS was released in 2014, right? That was the last official guidance? That's right. March 2014. Okay. So now it's obviously 2019, October 2019. So five years later, and we're just getting new guidance. Unfortunately, it's a little murky, it's a little confusing, ambiguous, whatever adjective you want to use. So today we're here to kind of analyze the revenue ruling as well as the updated FAQ. So that's what the goal of the show is today, is to just kind of analyze what has been released. Right, and, and the revenue ruling creates some problems. The FAQ, for the most part, is, is not too problematic, but I'd say on the net whole, uh, both these guidance actually maybe create more questions than they answer, unfortunately. Yeah, I would agree with you for sure. All right. So let's start then with the ruling itself that was released. Let's start by going over that a bit, Tyson. Sure. And real quick, let me just make a quick disclaimer. Everything we're going to discuss is for general education purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. If you have questions about how this new IRS guidance applies to your situation, you should seek advice from a qualified tax advisor. Absolutely. All right. So to the revenue ruling, what, what's your take on this? So revenue ruling 2019-24 is what the IRS released. And specifically, it addresses this issue of hard forks and airdrops which until now have really been unanswered. There's been a lot of debate in the tax community about um, whether hard forks and airdrops are taxable events. And I had actually originally come out and, and explained my position as being that all hard forks and um, airdrops are taxable events. And the basis for that is under the tax law and tax code, in general, anytime a taxpayer has what's called an ascension to wealth, a taxable event has occurred. And there's been lots of litigation on this. You know, it can be as simple as catching a home run baseball hit by Barry Bonds. Um, it can be more complicated than that. You know, there's cases involving option contracts to purchase realty. I mean, it, it covers all kinds of the gamut, but obviously it doesn't cover cryptocurrency. And that's the problem. Um, we had lots of disagreement about the particular facts of a hard fork and an airdrop and whether they satisfy these kind of requirements that we have from existing law for treating something as a taxable event. Um, and I can tell you the big two really are, do you have an ascension to wealth, meaning is the thing you received valuable? And number two, do you have dominion and control over it? 
meaning are you free to treat it as your own? And if those two things are met, then generally speaking, you have taxable income. So the problem is applying those two standards to hard fork or airdrop is actually pretty difficult. Um, and the revenue ruling here attempts to make that application. Uh, but as I guess we'll get into, the problem is that the facts they use really uh, are, are problematic. And, and as anyone who's read it and is familiar with cryptocurrency probably knows, it doesn't seem to really ad adequately describe a, a hard fork or an airdrop for that matter. Right. Yeah. So like you mentioned it, you need to have value and dominion, right? And both of those things are kind of subjective. They don't seem like they'd be subjective terms, but in the world of cryptocurrency and forks, it's kind of hard to quantify both of those things. And it seems like the IRS tried to, like you said, but by doing so, they made it more confusing. And there also seems to be a bit of a misunderstanding, from my analysis at least, of what certain terms are and forks and airdrops. And it kind of seems like a lot of things are conflated in this revenue ruling. Yeah, the, the issue, I mean, really, this revenue ruling is broken down into two situations where the IRS lays out the facts and then applies the law and reaches a conclusion that, um, that whether or not these events are, are taxable. And so the first situation is a hard fork, which the IRS says is done and you don't receive any um, additional units of new cryptocurrency as a result of the hard fork. And then the second situation is where there's a hard fork and then immediately after the hard fork, there's an airdrop where the taxpayer does receive new units of the virtual currency. And that's confusing because um, most hard forks are, are not either one of those two situations. You know, in general, when you have a hard fork, you do end up with units of the new virtual currency. Take, for example, the Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash hard fork. Mm -hmm. Anyone holding Bitcoin the day before the hard fork suddenly right afterwards had Bitcoin on one blockchain and then units, uh, an equal number of units of Bitcoin Cash on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain. Right. And just to jump in, it seems like in this case, the IRS is considering, I mean, at least from my view, it seems like they're saying that that Bitcoin Cash that you received is an airdrop. But most people would not consider that Bitcoin Cash an airdrop. We would certainly say that it was income, but that doesn't really satisfy either scenario that they put out. Like you had just said, nobody would really consider that Bitcoin Cash an airdrop. And so the question is, is the IRS labeling that Bitcoin Cash that you received as an airdrop? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and if you read the revenue ruling, you know, they say situation one is not a taxable event because the taxpayer did not receive additional units of virtual currency. But in situation two, the IRS says that it was a taxable event because the taxpayer not only received units of virtual currency from, you know, the follow-up airdrop, but also had dominion and control because the taxpayer could immediately sell them if um, he or she wanted to. So, you know, situation one is not taxable, situation two is taxable. So where do most hard forks like Bitcoin Cash hard fork fit in? Strictly speaking, if you really took this revenue ruling at, at face value using the plain language, it doesn't fit into either one. Because like you said, the, hard, the Bitcoin Cash hard fork wasn't followed by an airdrop. Um, and so, I, we don't know. Did the IRS misunderstand how a, a hard fork like the Bitcoin Cash hard fork functions? 
or were they purposely only identifying these two situations? One where you don't get any new units and then one where you do, but the units are received by a hard fork. Um, and even in the, what's interesting in the revenue ruling um, on page two, the, the author of the revenue ruling actually does say a hard fork is not always followed by an airdrop. So I, it's really hard to parse that out and, and tell what the IRS is actually meaning by listing out these two situations. Um, so what a taxpayer is supposed to do with this, you know, revenue rulings are supposed to clarify the IRS's interpretation of the law so that both taxpayers and actually IRS personnel um, can understand what the IRS thinks of the situation and, and handle it appropriately. So what do taxpayers do with this revenue ruling? Well, I don't have a good answer to that, unfortunately. Um, this revenue ruling, like many issues that have come up with cryptocurrency, put taxpayers in a really hard spot where they're left yet again guessing what the IRS wants them to do. I think, strictly speaking, if you don't want to have any problems with the IRS in the future, I would tell you to go ahead and report every hard fork and every airdrop as a taxable event. Right. That's been the conservative way to do it. And that kind of remains the conservative, safe way to do it. Right. And then if you, you know, want to pick up the sword and, you know, fight for virtual currency, I guess, um, you know, you could take an alternative approach. But the important thing to remember with revenue rulings and any IRS guidance, this is the IRS telling you what they think. And if you don't follow it, then what you're going to have is a dispute with the IRS in the future if you're ever audited. So that would could result in additional taxes and interest and penalties and the expense of fighting, you know, this interpretation against the IRS. Um, those are all significant downsides. So I would suspect that most taxpayers just want to do what the IRS says and kind of keep their head down low and, and go about their business. And in that case, uh, you'd have to follow this revenue ruling, I think, by reporting every hard fork and airdrop as a taxable event, even though the two situations are very poorly explained. And, and even though if you really strictly read it, you might be able to make an argument that true hard forks or let's call them normal hard forks like the Bitcoin cash hard fork don't fit within either one of these two um, scenarios. Yeah. And that's weird because, you know, from working with people's data a lot, Bitcoin cash and the Bitcoin hard fork that was one of the most common ones and probably one of the, the ones where some people had quite an ascension to wealth with Bitcoin cash because it actually had a pretty good market for a while and remains to be a, a, you know, a valid coin. Right. And that's one thing I guess to keep in mind here. I mean, oftentimes these hard forks and airdrops, the, you know, tax impact is going to be minimal. Um, you know, many right. airdrops are worthless. Um, and so it really is sort of the bigger ones like Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Gold, I guess, could be in there and the Ethereum Class A or Card Fork. You know, there's been a few that had more significant value. Um, and, and importantly, and this might be the next thing to talk about, those were much easier to determine the value of the virtual currency that you received because the revenue ruling says that the amount of your income is the fair market value of the new virtual currency. And so that's a, a, another big issue really left unaddressed by the revenue ruling, although the FAQs kind of touch on it, is how do you determine the fair market value of these coins? What I do see a lot of people getting kind of upset about is the dominion aspect of this, right? Like we're going to talk about the value aspect of this in a second, which is equally as important. 
But the Dominion aspect of airdrops, for example, people get upset because they get airdrops all the time. And they might not even realize it. This ruling kind of says the conservative way to handle that is to report all of those income, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're saying. That's mm-hmm. a conservative way to do it. And people get upset about that. But what I would say mm-hmm. is that, as you mentioned earlier, most of these airdrops are pretty insignificant. You're getting a few dollars worth of a coin. And if you have some airdrop that you forgot to report as income, obviously you want to do your best to report every single one that you can to remain conservative. But if you're forgetting a, an airdrop that's worth three dollars, it's it's very unlikely that you're gonna to go to jail, that you're gonna be getting all these fees. So it's not something that really matters a whole lot. It might be annoying and it might not be fair and it might not be logical. But when you just have an airdrop that is worth a few dollars in fiat, and if you forget to report it, I personally don't think it's the end of the world. I'm not recommending that to people, obviously, but I just don't, it doesn't seem like it's the end of the world. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And actually somebody out there has to be able to make a software tool to evaluate how many airdrops have happened on, you know, the Ethereum blockchain with ERC20 tokens or whatever. Um, I'd be curious to know, like, what is the dollar value of airdrops per one Ether token held on the blockchain? You know, is it a cent? Is it a dollar? You know, what is it? And then you can almost, at the end of the year, if somebody had that service, just tack that on your tax return based on what your holdings were for the year, if you wanted to try and be, you know, approximately accurate. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a good idea. Cause then it's kind of like a fair market value because it's an average, you know, yeah, price. And it, yeah. And, and, you know, we'll get into the price issue, I guess, which is another one, but I do want to go back to uh, the issue about dominion and control because it, that's, that's a very interesting prong, especially from a legal standpoint. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but when I had originally said, I think all hard forks and airdrops are taxable, uh, I felt that dominion and control was satisfied because you have the power as the taxpayer with the private keys to immediately claim those coins. And traditional tax law says that if you have the ability to claim something, then it's yours, even if you don't actually do it. And the kind of classic analogy is you have your paycheck and, you know, it's taxable income, even though, you know, your boss leaves it in his desk and you know, it's there and you just don't pick it up. Hmm. Um, you know, you don't avoid the tax on that just by so, not picking up your paycheck. It's a great analogy. Honestly, in this situation, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Right. So the question is these tokens airdrop or you have a hard fork and there's these new uh, tokens on the, this new blockchain, you have the private keys. So in theory, you can access those right away. You have the power to. And so under traditional interpretation of a lot of the dominion and control uh, sources of law, that's enough. That's constructive receipt. You own that, those coins, you have income. And that's the position the IRS took in the revenue ruling. Now, after I, I had kind of written my position on this, a, a guy from um, Deloitte, I think, one of the big four accounting firms, wrote a, another piece with his kind of interpretation. And he got into the weeds on dominion and control and, and really dug up some old case law and, and private letter rulings and revenue rulings and interesting stuff. And you start to see this picture of, of more complicated fact scenarios where the IRS and also the courts have said that the mere receipt of free property is not enough to be income. The taxpayer has to accept that property as his own. And that's a really interesting uh, twist to this whole conversation because suddenly with hard forks and airdrops, there is the question, have you accepted this as your own? Um, 
And most people would say, no, I, I don't want anything to do with these airdrop tokens or these hard forks. And of course, there's conversations now happening about how you could force people to have taxable income, you know, yeah. by running your own uh, hard forks or just airdropping everybody maliciously to give them tax problems. And that brings up a good point. I mean, it's the same idea as if somebody mails you free concert tickets and they're in your mailbox and you, you didn't ask those tickets, you didn't want them. And so you just ignore them or throw them away. Do you have income under the dominion and control test? And, and that's a has been an exception in the past. And so currently it's not an exception because we've, we don't have any court cases dealing with virtual currency, obviously. This revenue ruling is the IRS saying, here's what we think, and this is their position. And so it, it is technically up for uh, dispute and it may go the other way, but you'd have to be in a court of, you know, court of law with a judge making that decision. And so you know, to boil it all down, there are points to contest on the dominion and control I don't know if most taxpayers want to carry that burden. I'm assuming most just want to do what the IRS says. And in that case, I think you just report them as income. Um, but maybe someday in the future, there, there will be more uh, examination of this point in court and, and we may get some rulings that say that hard forks and airdrops actually aren't taxable income unless the taxpayer does something to claim ownership, like moving the, the new units to a new address or selling them, something to that effect. Well, I mean, I'll say this, if Reddit is any indication of the general opinion held by cryptocurrency traders, and I think it is actually a pretty decent way to look at, I mean, a lot of cryptocurrency users are on Reddit, right? So if, if it is any indication of how people feel about this, they're not happy. And they, they agree with what you're saying about how you're not exercising control. They don't want to exercise control and they really shouldn't have to pay taxes on that. So while I said earlier, it's not the end of the world, you're not going to owe that much money that's not really the issue. The issue is that it's not logical and it doesn't seem fair that they should have to pay, even if it's a nominal amount of money, they shouldn't have to pay it if they don't accept that they received the airdrop or the, the hard fork income. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get yeah, it. That's a great point. Yeah. I, I think it's a great point. And from a legal standpoint, it, it's a, it's a weak footing for the IRS and they didn't really do much to address it in the revenue ruling. So it's something that will, I'm sure, come up in the future. But for now, this is unfortunately kind of where we're stuck. Yeah, the, the IRS did not do itself any um, favors in terms of good publicity here. And a lot of people don't think that crypto should be taxed. This certainly isn't doing the IRS any favors, and it's not going to get them any fans with this new information. There's a question about the IRS's obligation to help people comply with the tax code. I mean, if they make compliance so difficult that your average person can't do it, then who's really to blame there? Is it the taxpayer who doesn't report the airdrops or the hard forks or is it the IRS for interpreting the rules so strictly that it makes compliance almost impossible? So that's a, you know, a tax policy question, I guess, and, and something um, that users on Reddit and, you know, I've seen that sentiment in other places as well are, are not wrong in expressing. You would think the IRS would want to take an approach that encourages people to report their virtual currency and cryptocurrency. Um, and most people are more than willing to report uh, many types of cryptocurrency transactions, but the airdrop and maybe even the hard fork are two that I think rub people the wrong way. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. Maybe we'll get somebody from the IRS listening in here. And honestly, there needs to be some changes that are, that are made, maybe put some people in, in positions that know what they're doing. And that's not to insult anybody over there, but 
there needs to be people that are on the ground here that understand crypto, understand that airdrops and forks are very common occurrences and look at what people are saying about how they receive an airdrop or how they receive forks. Um, they really do need to just change it up a bit. Yeah, the, the lack of technical understanding on this was a little disappointing. You know, I was expecting at least an accurate description of what a, how a hard fork works. This doesn't really quite meet that. It's, it's pretty confusing. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, and then, then the other issue is, is just the question of how do you value this property that's received, these, these virtual currencies? Yes, yes, that's a big <clears> issue. You know, many times after an airdrop, there is no market. And um, that's where Bitcoin Cash was more unique and Bitcoin Gold also you know, they were trading ahead of the hard fork. And so we knew what the value was basically at the moment of the hard fork. Um, but many, many of these airdrop tokens don't. And, and so that part can be very hard to determine. And the IRS says use the fair market value. Well, what does that mean? Um, I think you can jump over to the FAQs where the IRS says to look at the, uh, you know, prices that the coin is trading at on different exchanges, you know, the one you were on, or if you're not on one, you can use like a service that aggregates the price. And I mean, that's all fine and good, but many of these aren't trading. So how do you, you how do you determine the price in that point? And, and that wasn't really addressed. And, um, you know, Sal pointed out to me that there was somebody who says they spoke with the IRS agent, or I'm sorry, she was an attorney, I believe, for the office of chief counsel's office, but um, who wrote this and she told him you know, verbally that if it's not trading at the time of the airdrop, then it's not taxable yet. It becomes taxable as soon as the market opens up for the airdrop token at whatever value that happens to be. And that, you know, I think is blatantly incorrect. There's no realization event when the market opens up for a virtual currency. And so that would be absolutely incorrect. Um, so obviously the, there's still some unsettled issues there, even from the IRS's perspective in terms of how you price them. So definitely a lot to work on there. Um, in general, for taxpayers who want to know what they should do, I, you know, I, unfortunately I don't have a great answer. You're stuck in the position of tending towards whatever causes you to pay more tax. You know, the IRS generally is not going to complain if you overpay. So right. that, you know, is a tough position to be in, but if you want to assume a value that's higher than maybe it really is, that's likely to be your, your safest option. All right. So let's go on the flip side, right? Like you had just mentioned that a lot of this is maybe increasing people's taxable burden. So let's talk a little bit about some of the good stuff, I guess, um, that was from the FAQ portion of this updated information from the IRS. And specifically, I'm referring to the specific identification method question that was updated on the FAQ. Can we talk a little bit about that since it's kind of good news and we don't want to bring our listeners down too much? <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. So one of the big questions that's been floating around uh, the virtual currency space now for years is what method do you use to calculate your cost basis? Um, you know, obviously the problem is virtual currency when it's all mixed together, you, you go to sell one, you don't know, are you selling one you bought yesterday or the one you bought two years ago? And that obviously matters because it's either long-term or short-term. And also the price you paid for it was different. And so you may have higher gain or lower gain. And the default method traditionally has been first in, first out. So that means when you sell, um, let's just assume you're selling Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. When you sell Bitcoin, when you calculate your gain, you assume that you're selling 
the first Bitcoin that came into your account or wallet address, wherever it was coming from. Uh, so your oldest one. And, and that is the one you're selling. And so you calculate your gain or loss accordingly. That's first in, first out, also known as FIFO. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the default approach for shares of stock. Um, and so kind of unsurprisingly, the IRS said in the uh, FAQs, uh, that was question 38, I think, that FIFO is the default method also for virtual currency. So at least we have that ironed out. What was maybe a little bit surprising is that the IRS also says in the previous question, 37, that you can use specific identification for virtual currency. And this was actually a little surprising to me because the requirements for using specific identification for shares of stock is actually a little burdensome. You actually have to have the um, brokerage where you're trading acknowledge your uh, specific identification request. And, and hmm. off the top of my head, I, I believe it has to be in writing. And wow. so that, that is a little bit more difficult to, to work with. In the question 37, though, the IRS sets what I would consider a pretty low bar to use specific identification. And just to clarify, specific identification would mean that instead of just assuming you're selling your first Bitcoin that's, uh, or the oldest Bitcoin in your wallet, you can actually look at all of your holdings and pick which one you're selling when you do a sale. So you could pick the one with the highest cost basis if you wanted, um, or you could pick the newest one in your wallet that would be last in first out. And so this opens up a lot of possibility for taxpayers to be a little more strategic about how their gains are reported and certainly can using specific identification, maybe choose the, uh, the cost basis method that causes them to have the lowest amount of capital gains. So, most people listening should be relatively happy to hear that specific identification is possible. Um, the question is just what do you have to do to be allowed to use it? And question 37 says that you have to have records showing the transaction information for all units of the specific virtual currency held in a single account, wallet, or address. So there's one question is it looks like you have to use specific identification per account. So maybe if you have an account at Poloniex and you have an account at Coinbase Pro, if you're doing specific identification, you can only pick from the, uh, the holdings you have at Poloniex. And that might make sense, but keep in mind, and generally when you're applying something like FIFO or, or these cost basis methods, you're really treating it as a one big bucket of all your holdings. You're not really keeping track per account that's because it's very difficult to do that with virtual currency because you could be constantly transferring to coins back and forth and keeping track of all that can be pretty hard. So most people are doing it on a universal approach, uh, one bucket approach, even if they don't maybe realize that's what they're doing. Um, but the question goes on to say that the information must show four things, okay? The date and time each unit was acquired your cost basis and the fair market value of each unit at the time it was acquired, the time and date each unit was sold or otherwise disposed of, and four, the fair market value of each unit when it was sold or disposed of. Well, those four things that we pretty much have already every time we do a transaction with virtual currency. If you trade on, on uh, Poloniex, when you download your transaction report, it's gonna show all four of those things every time. So suddenly I think specific identification becomes very easy. Um, and, and software like Bitcoin.tax is basically already set up to do it, right?
Right. Yeah. I was going to throw in a little bit of uh, not so subtle marketing and say, you know, we've always had the ability to use multiple calculation methods for each coin, for all your coins, and it tracks throughout each year. So it's definitely, um, I think one thing that sets us apart is the ability to use all these identification methods. And now we're getting some guidance saying that it's probably okay to do that too. Yeah. And what's, and you actually just brought up a good point I, I didn't mention. This doesn't say anything about using specific identification on a per coin basis. And I, I think it, it means that you, you're allowed to do that. So I know from using Bitcoin.tax that you can go down and, and scroll down all of the trade data, you know, in your, in their calculation tab. And mm -hmm. now you can pick the best cost basis method for each particular coin all the way down the list. I mean, you really can optimize your gains this way. Yeah. And the reason I went to this topic is because both you and I have looked at a lot of data and this really does change things for a lot of people. I mean, this can bring down your taxable burden by quite a bit. I mean, you could maybe owe $10,000 using FIFO and then, you know, $1,000 using a specific identification method. So you can really decrease your taxable burden by, you know, strategically utilizing these specific identification methods. Yeah. And I think it'll, it'll just have to be ironed out this wrinkle about what it means in terms of the specific virtual currency held in a single account. Um, what the IRS really means there. But for now, I, I read this question 37 answer to be pretty broad and uh, pretty generous. So, I, you know, I would talk to your tax advisor if, if you're thinking about using one of these methods of specific identification and see what he or she thinks. But, you know, just kind of off the cuff from, from reviewing it, you know, it just came out, but it, it, it's very broad. So I think that's probably a win for taxpayers here. And the IRS doesn't give out very many wins on, on virtual currency as, as we're noticing. So we've talked um, about some of the changes that this new guidance has brought about, but what has remained the same? What wasn't changed by this guidance? Uh, I'd say most things weren't changed by this guidance. Um, and that's one of the things that's maybe a little disappointing about the updated FAQ and the revenue ruling is that a lot of it we already knew, um, especially in the FAQ, it, it kind of just flushes out maybe some of the smaller points, but Generally, the, the basic principles that we've been operating under for the last five years are all still in place. So, um, you know, we know that basically any transaction conducted with virtual currency is a taxable event. Um, and it's generally capital gains and reported on Schedule D of your tax return. And um, that part of it is still the same. Um, nothing changed. It also, you know, the FAQs do address things like mining. So if you're mining, you know, we know, and we've known that for a while, you have ordinary income based on the value of that coin at the time that it's mined. Um, that would, that logic would apply to staking rewards and other similar receipts of um, virtual currency. And also if you get paid in virtual currency, you know, that's taxable, whether you're an employee or you're a business selling goods or services, uh, you know, those are all taxable events. So for the most part, not too much change with the ruling. Um, and that's a little bit disappointing. There are still some big unanswered questions um, that we have, and, and hopefully we get some guidance on that soon. What would you have liked to have seen the IRS address in here, Tyson? So I think the big thing they missed, and it's really disappointing, is the issue about foreign account reporting. So we've been asking this question now for five years or, or longer even um, about whether accounts held at foreign cryptocurrency exchanges, 
about whether those are subject to reporting on FBAR or under uh, FATCA on Form 8938. And if you don't know, those are forms that US-based taxpayers are required to use and file with their tax return if they have foreign accounts. And the question is, is an account at a foreign cryptocurrency exchange, um, uh, does that account fall within the, the definitions used for the FBAR and the Form 8938? And the answer is that we don't know. Um, the FBAR definition is pretty narrow, seems to only apply to a bank account. And so I think many tax advisors don't really think that accounts held at virtual currency exchanges overseas are subject to FBAR reporting. And the IRS has sort of informally confirmed that. We have had personnel from the IRS uh, verbally say at conferences and that kind of thing that the IRS doesn't think uh, those types of accounts are subject to FBAR reporting. But the problem is that that's verbal advice that you cannot rely on. Um, so if, if you, the IRS changed its mind the next day, you, you, know, you wouldn't be able to use that as a defense. So we can't rely on that at all. But the other issue is that Form 8938 um, is much broader than the FBAR. It doesn't apply just to um, bank accounts. It, it really applies to foreign financial assets and, and accounts at foreign financial institutions. And so that may actually be a problem. Um, I could see foreign cryptocurrency exchanges uh, meeting the definition or falling under the definition for Form 8938 reporting. So this is a big deal because failing to report foreign accounts when required can subject you at best to large penalties and at worst can be criminal. You can go to jail for it. So I would really expect the IRS to come out in this situation and, and offer clarification because there are a lot of taxpayers who are very nervous about this and want to comply with the law, but can't um, because they don't know whether they're supposed to be reporting these accounts or not. And so I, I'm really hopeful that the next guidance we get, since we didn't get it this time, would be to clarify uh, whether virtual currency accounts uh, uh, located overseas are subject to reporting on the FBAR or the Form 8938. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully any additional guidance that is released will not take another five years to get released. Right. That'd be nice. We might be asking for too much though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 So one question that a lot of people are asking and that I think, you know, is very important is, is the information and, and the ruling that has been released by the IRS that we're discussing right now, is this retroactive? Unfortunately, yeah, it would be. Most IRS rulings are retroactive unless otherwise stated. And so this revenue ruling and FAQ does not identify an exception to that. Um, so I would say that these are retroactive. And most people's first reaction to that is to say, hey, wait a minute, this, isn't this a retroactive law and aren't those unconstitutional? Um, the answer is no. Well, sometimes retroactive laws are unconstitutional, but in any case, this, this guidance from the IRS, the FAQ and the revenue ruling are not law. They're the IRS's interpretation of the law. Hmm. And what the IRS is doing is telling everybody, this is how we see it. And they do that on purpose to inform taxpayers and also the rest of the employees and staff at the IRS as to what the official position is of the IRS on these, on these topics. And so a revenue ruling and the FAQ is not the law, but it's the IRS telling you this is how we see it. And so if you want to be in, in compliance with the IRS and not have any problems, then obviously you're going to want to follow what they say. 
And so that would mean complying with the revenue ruling and complying with what's provided in the FAQ and keeping your head down. And maybe things will change in the future, like we talked about in terms of how hard forks and airdrops are treated, et cetera. But for now, um, this is the IRS's position. So does that mean that should people amend their tax return then? Maybe. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, and, it, and it really depends on the individual circumstances. But technically, if someone's 2017 tax return, let's say, is audited, selected for audit, and they did not report the Bitcoin cash hard fork, then this revenue ruling uh, 2019-24 would, would be applicable. The IRS would follow it. They would assess additional income and taxes for that hard fork that went unreported and potentially penalties and interest as well. So um, the question of should you go back and amend, uh, that, that's a tough question to answer. Um, I'd say talk to your tax preparer or, or advisor and, and see what they think. A lot of that depends on how much income it was, um, how much the rest of your income was on your tax return, you know, how much time is left on the statute of limitations. It's not an easy uh, question to, to apply generally, um, but certainly uh, you should look into it because the IRS will be following this revenue ruling retroactively. Okay, good to know. And on that point about enforcement too, on the 2019 1040 form, they recently added a question about cryptocurrency, correct? Right. And that's a, that's a really interesting development. Um, it's actually on the draft version of the 2019 uh, Form 1040, which is mm -hmm. the individual tax return. So I guess it could change. But currently, yeah, it says um, at any time during 2019, did you receive, sell, send, exchange or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? And that is very broad. Uh, that does not just mean taxable transactions. Uh, sending, receiving, or acquiring all can be untaxable transactions that would not be reported on your tax return otherwise. But yeah. it's very clear that the IRS wants to know if you have anything to do with virtual currency. And I would imagine checking that box is, is possibly going to invite scrutiny on your tax return in the future. And more importantly, or, or scarier, I guess, um, is that an incorrect answer, meaning if you lie and you do it willfully, that could help form the basis for a criminal prosecution in the future um, if you didn't actually report your cryptocurrency income. So the IRS did this with, with the foreign account reporting. It's on Schedule B. If you have more than, uh, I think it's $2,500 of dividends or interest, uh, you have to answer the question, do you, do you have a foreign bank account? And that was done specifically to identify individuals that need to be looked into in terms of whether they've been accurately reporting their foreign accounts and also to say uh, to provide a basis for showing that that you lied by by not checking that box when you did have um, foreign accounts and, and that's important in terms of establishing whether your conduct was criminal or not so it seems that they're doing the same thing uh, for virtual currency and what that means is that when you file your tax return you need to answer this question truthfully um, I understand that you don't want to bring um, unwanted scrutiny to yourself by checking this box if you do hold virtual currency, but if you received, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire virtual currency during the year, you need to answer truthfully because uh, answering no when that was not the case could ultimately uh, bring you more trouble than, than what you wanted. Right. And that scrutiny at this point now is unavoidable. If by answering yes does invite scrutiny, then 
it is inevitable at this point that you will be inviting scrutiny because just by the nature of this question being added, you really have no choice, like you said, but to answer yes. If, especially if you're listening to this podcast, it's very unlikely that you have no cryptocurrency transactions. So most people are going to be saying yes and responding yes. And you know, I just want to say it kind of raises an interesting point, you know, not to bring up Reddit too much, but one guy on Reddit um, in response to this news had mentioned that this is positive. This is a positive thing overall that new guidance is being released and that the IRS is paying attention because that kind of means that crypto is being more accepted and more mainstream, right? And I told them that's a very glass half full mentality. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I would kind of agree with that. But at the same time, somebody had a great response and they said, this is the exact opposite. This isn't good because this is the IRS making it more and more difficult for cryptocurrency traders to accurately report their crypto. It's scaring people away from crypto, right? And I kind of see that side of it too. Yeah, I I tend to lean that way. I think this is very negative. Um, if you want to put your tinfoil hat on for a second, <laughs> if you're if you're a government who doesn't want its monetary policy, you know, and and uh, fiscal policy and the ability to print money and all of that to be subverted by cryptocurrency, then one way you can help stop that is to make the tax rules uh, very negative. And you know, there's a saying, you know, you can tax something to death. Well. These two developments, I mean, the, the treatment of hard fork and airdrops together with the question on 1040 would turn off a lot of people to getting involved with virtual currency or crypto. I mean, if you told them, hey, buy this Bitcoin and sit on it, maybe it'll be worth a million dollars one day. Oh, and by the way, if you do that, then you're going to have to constantly monitor, uh, you know, the news developments in virtual currency and report the value of any hard fork or airdrop tokens you receive. Oh, and also, by the way, you're going to have to, you know, check the box on 1040 that you now own virtual currency and that might cause you to get it audited, but you know, Bitcoin's the future. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, no, you know, yeah. It I, makes I don't sense. tend to be a pessimist, but yeah. I will say though that it seems like a bad tactic. I mean, if we were wearing our tinfoil hats, it's a bad tactic in the sense that you're never really going to dissuade the core crypto community, right? From trading. However, who you will dissuade and which is most likely the you know, point if we have our tinfoil hats on is to dissuade the mainstream audience from trading cryptocurrency and from adopting cryptocurrency, which mm-hmm. in that case, I guess it is a good tactic. But overall, I can't see something like this deterring people who are into cryptocurrency from it's not going to deter them from trading crypto, I don't think. But, you know, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see if uh, the tinfoil hats are right. Or if maybe we'll get some new guidance soon, maybe they'll see the reaction to this guidance and they'll release some new guidance. We'll see, I guess, in the coming mm-hmm. couple of years what, what's going to happen. Well, it's, it's time for some proactive action and the crypto space has gotten much better at this in the last few years, but there's no reason that Congress can't overrule the IRS on any of these topics. Congress makes the law. So Congress says that airdrops and, and hard forks aren't taxable, then they're not taxable. And it doesn't matter what the IRS says. And if Congress says you can't ask about, you know, holdings on 1040, then the IRS can't ask about it anymore. So that's one issue here. You know, there's been several attempts at some kind of tax reform around virtual currency. Bills have been introduced, but they've just kind of died off. So maybe with more adoption, politicians have more interest in pushing it. And and maybe with more concerted effort on the lobbying side, something can get done there. That would be the fastest way to address these issues. Otherwise, we're stuck waiting on um, the legal process to play out on any challenges that end up coming about in regards to the interpretation for hard fork and airdrops. 
I mean, if someone got audited today, it'd be probably three to five years before you had a court decision on that topic. So, um, you know, it's going to be a while before that plays out. Uh, so hopefully, um, we can get some, some tax reform. That's a, that's more favorable, but you know, that's, I don't know if I'd hold my breath for that. You know, I, sp- I spoke with somebody um, in a recent podcast that had made an analogy to social media and privacy laws uh, regarding social media and how it took so long for privacy laws to kind of catch up to social media, right? Like Facebook has been mm-hmm. around for what, you know, 10, years 10 more, plus yeah. years. And just now we're kind of getting into the privacy laws that are required because of all the privacy invasions that could happen as a, um, as a result of social media. So maybe if you look at it that way, right, things take time and mm-hmm. don't get too discouraged. And I mean, you said you don't like to lean pessimistic, nor do I. So in an optimistic view of things, maybe just hold the breath <laughs> and hope mm-hmm. that within the next few years, we get some, some good laws or some good uh, IRS guidelines coming our way that encourage adoption and, and not discourage adoption. That'd be great. All right, Tyson. So I'm just going to ask you some questions that I've seen pop up as a result of these new guidelines from Reddit and Twitter and other kind of like social media. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you them. And if you can give me uh, your opinion or your analysis or your answer, if you can. Sounds good. Cool. All right. So somebody on Reddit said, if you have Bitcoin on an exchange that doesn't give you access to the new forked currency, e.g. Gemini and Bitcoin Cash, then you don't have control, correct? Right. That's correct. That happened with Coinbase too, I think, during the Bitcoin Cash hard fork. And this is actually addressed in the revenue ruling. Um, They specifically say that if that happens, you do not have dominion and control. And so you do not have a taxable event at the time of the hard fork. You have a taxable event sometime later whenever it is that the exchange gives you access to those coins and your income is going to be based on the fair market value of those coins at that date, not the original hard fork date, which may be a good thing for you, maybe a bad thing for you, depending on what's happened to the price since the hard fork. Um, but that, that's what the IRS said in the revenue ruling. And so, you know, you're back to that same situation about um, if you want to comply with what the IRS is saying in terms of its guidance, then that's how you treat it. Okay. Next question I have uh, also from Reddit. This guy says specifically, if I was day trading in a Coinbase account, can I use specific identification for LIFO? We answered that. That's a yes. Um, But his next part we didn't touch on. He said, also, if I transferred crypto from one exchange or address to another exchange or address, can I use specific identification to decide which units were transferred? I think so. You know, this, is, this would be kind of a unusual circumstance, I guess, because like I mentioned, most taxpayers, when they're determining their cost basis, are doing it on sort of a universal or, or one bucket approach instead of per account where they're tracking which coins are in their Polonix account or their Coinbase account and only doing cost basis based on those uh, holdings in that account. So in this case, this guy is doing what I've seen other people do where he's tracking his cost basis per account. So he has multiple uh, record keeping and he may be using like multiple accounts at Bitcoin.tax or, you know, another provider to do that. And so in his case, he needs to determine the cost basis of coins that he's transferring from one account to another or into a wallet and then from that wallet back to the exchange. He needs to keep track of exactly which coins are are doing that. So I think under question 37 and the fact he could probably could use specific identification. 
Um, you know, this really isn't contemplating that. The language in the FAQ is talking about um, whenever a, a unit of virtual currency is sold, exchanged, or otherwise disposed of. So I don't, I don't know if, strictly speaking, that would include a transfer, but I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, that seems like a, an appropriate use in that case. So, um, you know, for now, though, it's really not clear. I, I wouldn't be able to, to say for certain. All right. So another one I've kind of seen some people ask is about airdrops. Um, this ruling kind of talks about airdrops after a fork. What about just airdrops as we know it? How does this guidance affect just regular airdrops? Yeah, that's another one of those things where I don't know why the revenue ruling uh, is structured the way it is or, or addresses facts the way it does. It, you're right. It, it doesn't specifically address an airdrop by itself. It, it only says or addresses an airdrop that follows a hard fork. So if you really wanted to be strict you know, in, in interpreting the revenue ruling, I suppose it, it might not actually apply to just an airdrop. But that's probably being a little too technical. I think the, the revenue ruling the principle of it would say that the airdrop by itself, whether it follows a hard, drop, hard fork or not, um, is an ascension of wealth. You know, you still have the same characteristics, the ascension of wealth and dominion and control that are triggered by the airdrop. So I would say that those are, those are probably still taxable events under the revenue ruling, even though they're not specifically addressed by the two situations. And to kind of go into another question I see on here, talking about being airdropped ontology and they're just holding that coin. I mean, same thing. I mean, even if you're just holding it at, at this point, this ruling doesn't really seem to distinguish between holding it or using it as long as you get it. It's kind of saying that that's income. Yeah, it, it doesn't say anything about whether you use it. All it says is whether you could if you wanted to. So right. I think if your private keys can access that airdrop token and you'd be able to transfer it um, using your private keys, then it's taxable income. I've seen a number of people concerned about their security when it comes to forks due to their private keys possibly being compromised uh, via you know man-in-the-middle attacks. What's your opinion on that? Right. No, it's it's an interesting point. I mean, clearly there's a there's a concern if you take your private key from the original blockchain, like Bitcoin in this case, and use it on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain, you're potentially exposing your private keys and you could be subject to some kind of replay attack or something. Um, and especially with some of the airdrop projects, you know, you don't know anything about who's running those. It, it could be, they could be malicious and just trying to fish your keys. So um, I think that that concern goes to maybe the question about whether you have dominion and control over the hard fork tokens, or it would be the same thing with an airdrop, same concern. So do you have dominion and control if there's this sort of uh, barrier or, or interference maybe in regards to your ability to claim them? Um, because maybe you actually can't uh, out of security concern. So that that's an interesting point. But it's not addressed in the revenue ruling. And so I think, you know, we're back to that same position where the revenue ruling is what the IRS thinks. And so if, if you don't want to have any problems with the IRS, then you just do what the revenue ruling says and report the income. Even though you, you may have an argument about dominion and control based on the risk of a replay attack or something, that's an argument that you'd have to bring up in court, basically, if you were going to try and prevail on that. So that's up to you, I guess, whether you know, you, you want to try and do that. But for most people, um, they don't want to have a problem with the IRS and they're just going to be stuck having to follow that rule for now. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about some sort of software that 
just kind of gives you an estimate of like what the airdrops are worth. So maybe you don't have to compromise your security by claiming them, but you can still pay the taxes if they're smaller, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it brings up an interesting issue about what's the real value of these airdrop tokens or hard fork tokens. You know, they presume that you can sell them for that price. And I don't know if that's really true. You know, the, depending on what the liquidity is like for these coins, you, you may not be able to sell them. I mean, the liquidity is a big issue with smaller crypto projects. Um, and if what may happen every time there's a hard fork, you know, suddenly every, everybody on who holds Bitcoin, let's say, you know, receives Bitcoin cash, that's a taxable event. Now they got to worry about, can I pay the taxes on this? Well, what are they going to do? They're probably going to go and sell the Bitcoin cash. And you may run into this crazy scenario where hard forks come out and as soon as you can sell them, the price just tanks because everybody's selling to cover the tax liability that they just incurred. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it was worth 250 at the hard fork and now it's worth 50 before yeah. you could even get to your private keys and move it. So that's kind of an interesting question actually is what is the value of the coins? There's, there's so much there. You know, the IRS just glosses over it by saying, hey, it's the fair market value and, and that's the price it trades for on the exchange. Well, that assumes a lot. That um, assumes you can move the coins to the exchange, which brings up the issue about the replay attack and security risks. It assumes you can sell the coin for that price. Uh, there may not be enough liquidity to actually do that. So um, certainly you get into a question about what's the actual fair market value. And in other assets, you know, you do when you're doing, you know, an, an appraisal basically for an asset to ter determine its fair market value in other areas of the tax law, you get a discount for lack of marketability or lack of liquidity. And so you would think maybe there's some way to apply that to virtual currency when you're talking about the value of a hard fork token or airdrop token, but that's all stuff that's just going to have to be ironed out over the years to come in terms of uh, uh, determining what's the right tax treatment here. It's certainly not addressed in the revenue ruling. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, I guess the moral is just keep on keeping on crypto enthusiasts and just keep doing their <laughs> thing and, and comply, I guess. I mean, if you don't want any trouble, just comply. We get it. It's not fair. It's not logical. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you're trying to avoid getting in trouble, you know, then that's just something I'm unfortunately just going to have to comply and make conservative estimates and pay more money possibly for something mm -hmm. that you don't think you should have to pay money for. That's just mm -hmm. the reality of it right now. Yep. And trust me, I don't like that answer any more than you do. Um, right. You know, it's, it's a, it's an untenable thing and it's, it's really quite unfortunate that the IRS is steering the crypto tax treatment this direction, but that is the path we're on right now. So, um, I completely agree that if you don't want to have a problem with the IRS, then, you know, you're just going to have to be compliant with the revenue ruling and the FAQ until something changes down the road. And maybe you want to be that guy to spearhead that change. But I think most people don't want to be that guy. And so, you know, we're all just kind of left in this tough spot with the revenue ruling. But in terms of uh, satisfying the IRS, you're just going to have to lean in the conservative direction and just report the income and and use the values that it's trading for on the exchange, even though, yeah, maybe there is a question about liquidity or, or what, what the real price is or value. But, you know, unfortunately, those, those issues just aren't um, mature enough yet to, for, the, for everybody to rely on. We're, we're just going to have to be stuck with uh, what we have. 
Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, coming on and analyzing this with me. I really appreciate your input as usual, Tyson. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll get guidance soon and I'll be able to have you right back on so we can talk about new guidance. Unlikely, yeah, I'm looking but. forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. All right, Tyson, thanks again. And uh, if somebody wants to reach out, how do they reach out to you? Uh, so you can find me online. Uh, my website is BitcoinTaxSolutions.com. I'm on Twitter as Tyson P. Cross, or feel free to shoot me an email, Tyson at BitcoinTaxSolutions.com. Cool. Thanks again, Tyson. All right. Thanks, Sal. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more great episodes about cryptocurrency and taxation.